You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. And yeah, Tree Street's really just, it's a very youth-driven place. The, the kids tell us and help us shape the programming, how they how they'd like it and what they're seeing as a greatest need for, for themselves. And uh, that work is expanding as uh, we recognize brain injury more and more as the science in, in that grows. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 232, Growing Goodwill, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 28, 2016. Maine has been growing goodwill in its communities for decades. Today, we speak with Julia Sleeper, founder and executive director of Tree Street Youth Center in Lewiston, which has been supporting area children through academics, the arts, and athletics for the past 10 years. We also speak with Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, president and CEO of Goodwill Northern New England, a 100-year-old organization that helps families find stability through work and letting nothing go to waste. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bringing the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Today I have with me an individual that is doing some really interesting and innovative things in a part of Maine that I think um, seems to be a, a hotbed of new and innovative things these days. This is Julia Sleeper, who is the founder and executive director of the Tree Street Youth Center in Lewiston. She was born and raised in the Bangor area and initially moved to Lewiston-Auburn as an undergraduate at Bates College. During her time as a student, she began connecting to the downtown Lewiston community youth through service learning opportunities afforded to her as a psychology and education major. Over the past 10 years, she has continued to build on these relationships, providing after-school programming for the at-risk youth living in the downtown Tree Street neighborhood. There's so much more to your bio than just (laughs) this, but this is a start. It's really great. Thanks so much for coming in and talking with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So you grew up in the Bangor Brewer area. You went to John Baptist. You went to Bates for college. And you're still there. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I never left. <laughs> so what what was it about Lewiston that so um, drew you? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think Lewiston is just an amazing city. There's lots of um, emerging new things happening all the time. And in particular, what what kept me was the the youth that I started working with um, initially as just service learning opportunities in the community, volunteering, um, doing different things just to uh, get to know kids, help them with their academics. And then after that, after a while, it was it really evolved as my passion and what I wanted to do. And I was working with students who were just so powerful, and um, you kind of can't get enough of like their energy and kind of their ambition, and that's what that's what kept me. So, you also have a master's degree in leadership and organizational studies through USM at the Lewiston Auburn campus. So, how is that? Um, I guess intersected with the work that you do. Yeah, so um, when I decided to go for my master's, I was looking for a program that could be pretty versatile. I wasn't entirely sure uh, the direction. I always kind of had this dream to create a youth space or a youth center in Lewiston, um, mainly because of the the kids that I was interacting with and seeing. And um, I always said, I just need a building. And so when I was actually finishing my master's, writing my thesis at the same time was when I was starting Tree Street, kind of not 100% knowing that I was starting Tree Street. And um, so what was great about that program is a lot of it is about like being innovative and being creative and tackling um, different uh, challenges with different versatile leadership qualities and um, ways in which you can, you know, look at like bigger issues, but break them down to kind of tangible ways to create impact and um, different ways as leaders or as within organizations how you can do that. So it kind of meshed really nicely. Tell me about Tree Street. What give me a kind of an overview of what this program looks like? Yeah, so well, Tree Street's a very exciting place. It's very, very busy. We serve about 120 to 150 kids a day through the center. Um, we do after-school programming, summer programming, um, primarily for the at-risk kids living around the surrounding neighborhood, which is in downtown Lewiston or the Tree Street neighborhood. Um, we do academic support, arts and cultural enrichment activities, which could be anything from visual arts to performing um, arts, dance, or extending into the athletics, karate, and different stuff like that, Um, as well as uh, cultivating leadership and kind of future aspirations. One of our our big programs is our branches program, um, which is a college prep program where we work with, in particular, seniors, but also in cultivating kind of um, higher education aspirations and we work with seniors literally from application to moving day whatever kids need in order to kind of get to that next step after high school um and yeah tree street's really just it's a very youth driven place the the kids tell us and help us shape the programming how they how they'd like it and what they're seeing as a greatest need for for themselves um and then we just kind of create a space where where they can evolve it so um yeah, but it's a very, very busy place. Um, it is pre-K through 12, so any school-age kid is welcome to come, um, literally from when they start school till they go off to college. So, And what type of interaction do you have uh, with the local school systems and with the local government? Yeah, so we're we're literally located across the street from one of the six elementary schools. Um, we're across the street from Longley Elementary, right um, right in the heart of downtown. So we do actually do a lot of collaborative activities with the with the the various schools. We serve kids from across the entire district, um, and it's 
some of our activities are providing additional supports in the morning, like both within schools and also at the center, in particular for kids that struggle with more social-emotional behavioral things going on. And we have kind of a unique perspective that we work with kids. We can see them in school, but then we also see them out of school. And kind of leveraging those relationships that we're able to establish with them um, has really intersected nicely with, with some of our school partnerships um, at all, all the levels. What is it that education actually does for kids? I know this is a very basic question, but, I, but I'm interested in what your ideas are about this. I think that's a great question. I mean, I think for, for what we see happening, like I think for any individual, but in particular with our youth, like education just literally like gives them independence. It gives them a tool to define who and what they will become and how. Um, and so for a lot of our students, they, they can't get enough. They want to try everything. And, um, and with about 65% of the youth that we serve being of the immigrant and refugee families of the city, um, a lot of it is novelty. And so like education sometimes is, is not just like the basic, you know, um, math and reading and those kind of things, but it's it's building social capitals, it's having interactions, it's exploring the world around you. And I think for for us and for kind of Tree Street's philosophy of like that type of education where it can span across like not just the traditional subjects, but also the social skills and the opportunities to just try something and see something for the first time, like those those are the powerful doors that open up opportunity for um, for any kid or, or any individual, really. And what has that been like to work with different um, people of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds? Yeah, it's very exciting all the time. Um, there's always something happening, always uh, layers of complexity that are very, very rich and, um, and really fun. Like the, the dynamics of part of our mission is creating unity across lines of difference. So we, we serve kids from across the spectrum, basically, of you know any background and different languages. We're up to 14 languages in the building right now, which is exciting. And it's really one of those powerful opportunities to have conversation that a lot of the times um, different people struggle with having because it is it is complex and it is difficult at times and we really like push at Tree Street to not only have those conversations but give space for the kids to have those conversations with each other to learn about one another um, and to do it in a safe place where we we can help facilitate and encourage like the learning and the education about you know one another in in a healthy way and in a way that like doesn't feel like um, risky or doesn't feel like oh I might I maybe I'm not supposed to answer or, or ask that kind of question like we really create a very open environment and I think that's why we've been really successful at kind of engaging so many kids is everyone brings something to the table and as long as you know you're coming in and putting your best foot forward and um, we'll love you on your rough days we'll love you on your best days <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of the mentality that's created a a really fun, positive environment, even amongst like all of the levels of complexity that exist from working with so many kids from so many different backgrounds. It's interesting to hear you talk about the necessity of openness, because I think that one of the things that 
I struggle with as a parent in talking about things like different uh, culture, people with different cultural backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds is um, sometimes I'm not even sure what language I'm quote allowed to use. So I'm not even sure sometimes that I even want to open my mouth because I don't want to be misconstrued as having something negative to say, but I don't know what to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that I think at any point in time, any parent in the world <laughs> like thinks, even if it's not about this subject matter, it's it's one of those unknowns. Like there, there's so many complexities of society now and in particular around like racial or cultural or, or multicultural kind of identities and things like that. And, and with the dynamics of the general society right now where these are hot topics, they are very... Um, very complex and they are very overwhelming at times. I think those are completely normal, you know, feelings for anyone to have. I think it's naming them like that. You know what? I don't actually know. That's a great question. <laughs> like, let's figure out the answer, you know, sort of thing. I think that's like what we see as one of the most powerful pieces of when you when you do work with kids and when they do pose those really complex questions that like you're very honest and if you don't know you seek to search the answer out in whatever way it may be possible um and i think that's actually arming them with a better like toolkit you know where it's okay to not know something because no one's expected to know everything and that like it's okay to go and seek your own answers and it's okay to like ask questions as long as it's coming from a place of you know respect and love and really you know caring about the other person and and kids are actually really easy like the kids have way fewer questions than we as adults like typically tend to have about these types of subject matters um and that's something that's also really refreshing is to see the kids as they interact and grow up and develop like where they you know they don't they don't necessarily see the differences until they're older and then they start to kind of understand the complexities of society and history and how that all intersects but if they have a strong base of really knowing individuals as as individuals and really getting to know their friends um i think it sets them on a good path where when they do start to learn those complexities they can be honest about them um versus fearing them i spent time with tae chung who um works here in Portland, and you're nodding, so you must know Tay. I think everybody (laughs) must know Tay. We wrote an article about him for Maine Magazine, and he's going to be speaking at the upcoming Maine Live in March. And the the way that he describes growing up in Portland as one of, I think he said, one of three people of color at the time, and the other two were his brothers, you know, there's there's some... um, sense of, you know, that he's had to live through some really tough stuff, some some conflict, some sadness. Um, he's got an, a really positive attitude, and he's really worked to affect change. But it you could tell that it actually impacted him in a really profound way. Mm. You have the opportunity to impact the children that you work with in an equally profound way. That's a big responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think all all of those things that you just articulated that like Tay experienced I think are equally experienced for for a lot of youth in general but in particular youth of color and especially in a place like Maine where it it isn't necessarily common to 
um, if you're a person of color, to have someone who looks like you, you know, in in the predominant culture, it's just it's not realistic to think that way. Um, and when you grow up in that kind of environment, I think some of the things that he cited, like those are a byproduct of it. You just you're existing in a world that doesn't exactly represent you. And so I think one of the things that we strive to do, um, in particular at Tree Street, to kind of help support kids through those kind of complex like processes is is having a very multicultural staff. Um, uh, people of color like represent the majority of our staff in, in the leadership, which I think is very, very unique um, in, in organizations or in particular in Maine, as well as just being again, like no matter who you are, being open to having that dialogue and recognizing that depending on who you are and who your own identity is, you may not fully understand like what is happening, but that if if something is a reality to one person, like it's their reality. Um, and I think that kind of mentality helps regardless of who you are to be able to like encourage all of the kids to like, you know, everyone can, everyone can identify with particular um, emotions. Like everyone knows what it's like to be sad or to be lonely. Um, maybe not because of the same factors like Tay was, you know, giving as an example. But if you can identify like with those kind of human aspects of things, it allows like for that conversation to flourish and for that child to feel supported, even if you can't necessarily fully identify with the reasons. But we really strive to have individuals working at the center who actually can, um, because that takes it to a whole new level. And then they can share how they grappled with that type of experience as well, um, which I think is, you know, it's it's meeting kids where they're at. And then just kind of taking it from there, letting them kind of lead and dictate like what it is they need. Because a lot of the times, even like adults, sometimes it's just a vent. Sometimes it's just, I, I just need to say this, you know, sort of thing. Or uh, this trauma happened today and I don't really need anything. I just want someone to know and kind of have that shared feeling. So, yeah. I, I must tell you that in talking with you, I'm struck by how much you remind me of my friend Hanley Denning, who um, founded Safe Passage before she passed away. Um, but this was an educational organization for children in Guatemala who lived outside the Guatemala City Dump. And one of the things that reminds me of Hanley is your enthusiasm, is your enthusiasm and your positivity and your and but also. Um, and don't take this the wrong way, your youth. Yeah. I mean, you, you are a young woman who has just jumped in here and really and really kind of taken it, taken the reins in your hands and said, you know what, this is something I feel so strongly about. I'm going to do something about this. That's, that's not, a, not everybody has that. So where did that come from for you? Yeah, um... I'm actually not 100% sure. I came into Bates wanting to be a bio major and was going to be a veterinarian. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out, uh, justifiably so. Um, but no, I think, I think I realized when I was kind of big, figuring out my path, I think what I realized was, um, you know, the, the world is complex. It's messed up. There's lots of negativity out there and lots of things happening. And as I was trying to figure out kind of the direction through college and through all these different experiences, I, I tried to seek like what, what gave me the most joy. And I realized that it wasn't even necessarily the, 
the kids themselves, it was actually, it was seeing the kids or anyone for that matter, um, doing something for the first time. It like, it was just this amazing like thing that I realized like every time like I got to witness a, a kid write their name for the first time or um, say their ABCs. And in particular, the first placement I ever had was um, at Lewiston Middle School in a seventh grade English language learning class. So these kids were 12, 13, 14 years old coming in and they could not even spell their name yet um, at that age and it was their first time going to school so everything was a novelty (laughs) and it was really it was as challenging as that was it was also this like this amazing like experience and beauty that you could see in like just the enthusiasm around doing something for the first time and I think when I began to realize that um, that that was something that kind of fed me was like being able to witness those kind of things I was able to kind of formulate like opportunities where I get to witness that every single day, Um, which in working with kids, it's almost a guarantee, Um, especially a whole lot of kids and especially kids from all different backgrounds Um, because every day you see them working through something. Every day you see them like challenging themselves and kids kind of naturally do this. Like they're not afraid of anything, so they try everything, which can be to the the dismay of others sometimes. But it's one of those things where if you can be a part of that and you can like, um, you know, help encourage that and then show them or give them opportunities that like blow their minds a little bit and have and let them know anything that they choose to do, they can do. Um, But being also like brutally honest, like I also like really love honesty. Like I think like a kid can become whatever they want to be, but they need to actually know exactly what it's going to take. Um, and I think, like, that kind of combination of all of that, like, just emerged, you know, throughout my life. And I've I've been very lucky in growing up in Maine, like, how much I've been, I've been blessed with and being able to experience. And I could go from, you know, fishing on a lake with my dad to, like, you know, coming to Portland and navigating, you know, the downtown and, like, Old Port and, you know, going to a place like Lewiston where, like, it was so uniquely different from my experience growing up in Bangor Brewer area. But at the same time, it's Maine. Like, you're very nice to people. Everyone's very open. Like, everyone wants to, you know... um, though we can sometimes be fearing change like the reality is is people really care about one another and I think all of that's been kind of poured into me from between my family and kind of all of my experiences and my education that I was you know able to get and all of that came from Maine you know and I think that was uh that's a big part of kind of my spirit and then also like you know, just seeing where there was a really great need as well, um, I think was really, really powerful. What type of an impact do you think that the work you're doing at Tree Street has on the families of these children and perhaps the community at large? Yeah, I think the impact is really significant. Um, I mean, one, just just the fact that kids have a safe place to be is, like, really, really powerful. Um, but I think as we've, we've cultivated the students, in particular with our branches program, the college prep piece, um, we've had 100% graduation rate from our seniors for the last two years running. Um, and last year, we had our all-time high. We had 95% college acceptance um, out of our seniors. Um, and last year, it was a group of 28 seniors. And it was really... 
I think those are the pieces that the ripple effects out um, further beyond just that one child getting into college is then then the the next child is expected in the family to go or the bar kind of set gets set um a little bit and it it also shows like other kids in the community even if they're not related like that that's possible and that you can overcome all these complexities and challenges and all of that and it's also i think very empowering um one of our other programs is um what we call street leaders and so they're high school youth who we hire on it's often their first job so they work as mentors and role models to the little kids they get paid a really you know a small stipend and but it's a big deal to become a street leader and the idea is that it's a role um it's not a job and so what they do inside a program or outside a program needs to be modeling um, the behaviors. And I think kind of giving kids that, it's really just an engine or an opportunity to demonstrate what they already have in them as leadership skills, Um, but giving them that title, giving them that opportunity and that little pocket money is like a really big deal and it can lead to like really significant ripple effects where a lot of the pride in the community and a lot of the, um, you know, any fears that may exist about diving in or trying something different kind of goes away because you're doing it together. Um, and so I think the the impact um, we're having is, is really positive and really great. And we are a relatively young organization. This is just our fifth year. Um, and we're very, we're very progressed in different areas and then we're still like, we're maybe in other areas. But I think that's something that as the programming keeps evolving, we'll keep being able to like see those those ripples kind of continue out. Our um, our first four year college attendees are graduating this coming spring, so that's kind of like we're starting to see how those like those choices of some of those uh, young individuals then are going to start to come back into the community as young professionals now with you know with their degrees and um, and armed with lots of excitement and passion around the community. So, Julia, how can people find out about the Tree Street Youth Center? Yeah, so we have a website. Um, if people want to visit us there, it's www.treestreetyouth.org. Um, you can also uh, be stop in if you happen to be around. Uh, we're at 144 Howe Street in Lewiston. Um, you can call and set up a tour if you'd be interested in coming and checking out the center. Our number is 207-577-6386. Or obviously, you can like us on Facebook um, uh, or follow us on Twitter or any of the social media outlets. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you today, and I thank you so much for the work that you're doing in Lewiston. And I know that it's going to be... Um, very interesting to see and gratifying to see what happens with all of these kids as they continue to go up and and continue their educations and work in the community. We've been speaking with Julia Sleeper. She's the founder and executive director of the Tree Street Youth Center in Lewiston. Thanks so much for coming in today. Yeah, and thank you, you for having me. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy. It's how buying a car should be.
go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. My next guest is an individual that um, Maine Magazine has known about for quite some time. Her name has been floating around there, someone that we'd like to talk to. So it's my good fortune as the host of Love Maine Radio to actually get to speak with her um, first. This is Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, who is known as Anne. She's the president and CEO of Goodwill Industries in Northern New England, a not-for-profit social enterprise with over 2,000 employees serving Maine, New Hampshire, and Northern Vermont. Goodwill operates diverse retail, healthcare, and workforce services that help individuals and families find stability through work while extending a 100-year practice of letting nothing go to waste. Thanks so much for coming in here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. And you have a very interesting... Um, background. You have an interesting educational background, an interesting employment background, an interesting mm-hmm. family background. You're just, you're <laughs> just, you just, there's lots of good stuff to talk about here. Um, but first I want to talk about Goodwill and Great. why you went from Goodwill after being at the Boeing Company in Chicago, mm-hmm. where you were the vice president of global corporate citizenship. Why did you decide to do that? Well, there is a little story there as there are in as there is in life um, I retired from the Boeing company and uh, was set on moving to Maine to be near my grandchildren and um, the search firm who was in charge of the goodwill search uh, happened to be a, 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 at a gathering with my where my brother was and uh, she said do you know anybody you'd like to move to Maine and he said yeah I do and so I was introduced to the search and uh, came out and talked with the board and talked with the senior team. And while I hadn't really planned on having a job, I was um, just so attracted to the opportunity once I started, once I got here and was talking to the people who were doing this work at Goodwill. Uh, and it has proven to be everything and more that I thought it would be. Well, I was impressed when I went to do some more research on Goodwill because I've been donating to Goodwill for years. Thank you. I've uh, I've bought things at the Goodwill stores. I've seen the really the expansion. Yeah. Really nice facilities, mm-hmm. the drop-off places. Um, but I had no idea that there were so many other things that Goodwill yeah. was involved in. Yeah. We are um I sometimes think we are the first social enterprise because we're over 100 years old. Here in Maine, we're over 80 years old. But the the goodwill concept of having a business for a social pers- purpose um, started 100 years ago when the um, a minister at uh, the Church of All Nations in Boston in the on the in the the settlements there um, saw immigrants who were hungry and cold and they had didn't have good housing and no one would hire them so they had no way to support their families and they were in terrible in a terrible place and he wanted to help so he went up to Beacon Hill with a burlap bag and a horse and buggy and 
asked for donations, and he gave those donations out of their generosity to the people who didn't have much, but it didn't solve their problem. And when he understood that, he started a business that created jobs of collecting clothes and household items, sorting them, repairing them, and then reselling them, creating jobs all along the way. That is a social enterprise. And that's been the model for all Goodwills, even though every Goodwill is an independent organization. But that, um, that business model serving a social purpose is what drives us here at in Northern New England. The revenue from our stores, which we try to make a really pleasant environment for our workers as well as for our shoppers. Um, that revenue goes to support our workforce services that are the core of the philosophy behind Goodwill, which is that if you, if you have a job, you have a means of supporting not only yourself, but your family, and your family has the means to be a member of their community, and the community then grows and flourishes and becomes sustainable. So that's the virtuous circle that we employ. And uh, we have, over the years, expanded the work that we do, uh, including into the healthcare arena, uh, where we do really wonderful work in neurorehabilitation for persons with an acquired brain injury. And uh, that work is expanding as uh, we recognize brain injury more and more as the science in, in that grows. Uh, we also have a network of wonderful homes, safe and loving homes for persons with severe disabilities who can't be at home with their families. And we provide wonderful living arrangements for them so that they can develop as much as they can. Some of them even go out to work from their homes, but it, it's allows their families to be um, able to work themselves instead of staying home to care for a person who needs a lot of care. And we bring that professional and loving touch to their lives. Um, we also have day services for persons with disabilities, again, focused on helping them to live their fullest life, which is focused on community. So we don't just squirrel them away somewhere and keep them occupied for a day. We t they are out in the community um, being helpful. They do projects in the community. They also have fun in the community. They also take care of their own personal needs in community. They go shopping. They do their grocery shopping and keep, their, um, keep themselves on task and learn how to be a part of the community. So we have a wide variety of activities that are supported and from the beginning have been supported by the revenue from our retail stores. From what I understand, you also do work with veterans. And we do. And also um, you help uh, people get involved with farming. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the farming program that you're talking about is called Agribility, and it is a partnership with uh, the University of Maine Extension and it's funded by the Department of Agriculture. And it is for farmers or, or 
people who want to farm who have been disabled, um, perhaps in an accident or some other way that has made them um, have uh, adaptive problems in their uh, profession as farmers. So we work with them to figure out what they need to be able to do the job of farming. If it's adaptive technology, um, prosthesis, uh, learning new skills, learning different ways of operating machinery or other doing other farm chores. And we do um, help about uh, 400 um, people across the state in various ways to participate in agriculture, which is one of our state's uh, real claims to fame. And a lot of those uh, farmers are organic farmers, which again, I think is becoming a brand for the state of Maine. Um, farming is, you know, working with the earth is um, is very, uh, is often soothing for persons with disabilities. It, it, they, it's very tactile and they know where they are. So it's a very good um, profession. And if they have a uh, sense for it, we can help them reach that goal. Our veterans, you know, we've, we've always helped veterans in various ways, but we had a, um, a, a new employee who joined the organization about the same time that I did, um, who is a vet herself. And um, she really brought to our attention that we could be a little more focused on um, the needs of our veterans because that's that has grown, obviously, over the last decade, almost 20 years. And so we did start really focusing on a veterans fund where we uh, focus resources and we act as advocates on behalf of veterans who need just that little bit of help to get them along the way. Um, our, our veterans are very purposeful people and they want to drive their own lives, but uh, they face a lot of challenges when they come back from combat some of them physical, some of them emotional or mental. And so while the, the VA might help them with the, the clinical side of that, um, we can help them if, you know, there just isn't enough money this month to go to the dentist and they've got a tooth that needs to be taken care of. And we can help them with that. Or if they need a new pair of glasses and they just don't have that money we can help them. And that then helps them move along. Um, we also are seeing a lot of our veterans in our neuro-rehab neuro clinic um, with the acquired brain injury. And again, our goal is to help them um, reach the goals that they have for their lives and understand themselves and their capacity and their capabilities. And uh, so we're, we're just honored to help them reach those goals. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the many patients that I've had over the years for whom getting past the point of illness or getting past the point of traumatic brain injury or whatever it is that has caused someone to be um, incapacitated for some period of time or perhaps for always, mm -hmm. that's, that's not enough. The, for people that I deal with, it's fine to not be sick anymore or it's fine to get past your acute brain injury. Mm -hmm. But there's something bigger. There's something bigger about 
living one's life, about yeah. actually having something meaningful to show up and do every day, about having a community to work Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that notion about community is really important. And often when there's been an acquired brain injury, they, they lose the community that they had and don't really know how to, how to get a community again. And so that's one of the big areas of uh, focus for um, for our clients to help them build that um, that supportive network of not just in the, from a clinical standpoint, but from an understanding community neighborliness kind of way that you and I know is so important to our being able to function um, independently. It's interesting to hear you talk about this too, because. In my clinical practice, I work with, and we have a very good clinical practice, a very good medical practice, mm-hmm. and we work with um, teams of people that try to help with social issues. But I'm not sure that anybody has ever said to me, oh, maybe you should look into Goodwill, which seems like uh-huh. that seems like a no-brainer. I'm a doctor. I, <laughs> I can help people with some of their clinical stuff. Yeah, yeah. I can't help them necessarily with that next step, but it sounds like uh-huh. that's what you're doing. So I wonder, yeah. now I'm wondering why I didn't know more about this before I came in and talked to you. Well, it may be a capacity issue. Um, you know, we are a not-for-profit, and so we operate with very thin margins, so we move ahead as we can. And we are finding that there is more need than we... Uh, often have capacity. And so we work very hard to raise more revenue. That's a role of the stores and our and our other businesses. And we we fundraise and we're, we try to raise that money so that we can reach more people. We do get referrals from um, doctors and from um, hospitals. Um, but again, it, it may just be a capacity issue. We have two clinics, one here in Portland and one in Lewiston. Uh, called Westside in Lewiston and Bayside here in Portland. So we we would welcome any referral you would like to send us, and um, we will do everything we can to help them reach their goals. Someone who works here at the magazines who um, suffered a stroke in his 50s is going to um, neurorehabilitation and getting some occupational therapy, Chris Cast, and I know he won't mind me using his name because it's been quite a journey for him. Um, and he's so grateful for the work that he has done made possible by Goodwill. And this is something that he never thought would happen to him. He's been working with the brand company and main magazine and 75 Market Street for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And to have this happen to him so acutely and without any particular risk factors and know on the other side that there are people who can help him with this. Yeah. Has been such a life saver for him. Well, and he said to me, he said, I, I had no idea that Goodwill did that. You know, I, I just thought it was stores. And um, so we're really, really happy to have him be part of our family. We're very happy that he's doing so well. And um, uh, we're, we're glad that he has a broader view of Goodwill, because that is one of the things that's a challenge for us. Um, we we operate our business to raise the revenue, but, but we're not big self-promoters um, because we're just busy doing the work. And um, we also do a lot of our work in partnership with other organizations, and so we're all there just working hard. Uh, but we're very happy to get um, people acquainted with 
what it is that we do um, so that we can help them. And if we can't help them, we try to connect them with who can. One of our, um, one of our important programs is called Job Connection. And it is a new approach to workforce development. So for years and years, we've done workforce services that is place-based in an office, and we offer um, help to people who have challenges getting a job. Um, and we, uh, we are the, the contractor, for instance, for WIA um, federal funds to, to help people find jobs. But what we were noticing is that people um, who have challenges in their lives, they don't just have one challenge. And so if, if they're without a job and they get a job, there, there are probably other things that are problematic in their lives. And so the question is, if you just help them find the job, are they going to be successful in that job? And what do they need to help them really find success? Well, they probably need more, um, more support and attention beyond that first day on the new job to make sure that they can manage having a steady job, manage that responsibility. And we all know, you know, it's sometimes you get up and you don't feel like going to work. But instead of saying, well, I'm not going to go to work, if you have support to, to retrain yourself and say, yes, I am going to go to work because it's important and it's how I build my reputation as a reliable worker, well, then you're going to be more successful. If you have a, a bad situation at home, if you are okay on the job, but then you go home to an abusive situation or illness that's beyond your capacity to deal with it, um, or uh, other elements of, of poverty, um, you know, you're going to have trouble holding that job and keeping it. So we developed this notion of job connection, which is a team approach that works with these individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis. This team helps them sort out what their, all their challenges are and deal with them. And when they're ready to get a job, that this team stays with that person until they are sure and we are sure that they can be successful in that job. And that's a new approach. We had never done that before, and we just started that. And it's really because we need to be committed to one another. Um, if we really want to see the overall result of people being useful citizens and stable community participants. Um, we have to help each other. And you and I know we've, you know, maybe we've got family or friends that can help us out when something goes wrong in our lives, but there are a lot of people who don't have that. And so we have to step up and offer ourselves to help people have that support so that they can find that fulfilling place of being on their own, stable, and contributing to their community. This reminds me of a conversation that I had with a gentleman who had been homeless for a while, and um, he had been working with Preble Street, and he said that when you're homeless, your, your goal is to find a home. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't often think beyond once you find the home what that's going to look like yeah and so what you're describing is almost is is that is that like what is the next step up behind yes. let's let's now we need a job you yes. know and then to keep a job how do you what do you need to orchestrate in order to make that possible yes so it, it sounds like it's sort of recreating a culture that somebody can um, thrive in, really. It, exactly. I think that's a really great way to put it. And we, we work with Preble Street a lot, and one of our partners is the Portland Housing Authority. So we, you know, we recognize all of those um, uh, social determinants of health. Housing, are you, do you have safe housing? Um, what is your environment like? Um, it's not just about only about your physical health. It's also about... Your, the, the surrounding life that you lead. And um, so we seek out those partners that do the parts that we don't do. We don't, except for the, our group homes, we don't do housing, so we partner with them. And then we bring in the workforce services. And if somebody has an addiction problem, for instance, we don't do addiction counseling, but we have partners who do. And it's really, it, it's how you can tell, I think, that a community is strong is if the these pockets of goodness are working together and talking together um, to achieve the goals, the outcomes that everybody wants for the place that they live. And, uh, you know, that's what we work on. It strikes me that they have brought in at Goodwill someone with not only... Um, a great, uh, a great work background. They also brought in a person who has a great educational background. You have a bachelor's degree from Stanford and a master of science from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. So th- they wanted somebody who could help tackle these pro- problems, who actually had like all the stuff. You know, they weren't they weren't going to bring in somebody who, <laughs> who didn't know how to get stuff done and didn't have the the smarts well that i would i would hope i would have some talents to bring to the picture but i will say that when i came to um to interview and talked with um this the senior team i was just bowled over at how good they were and that was extremely encouraging because i knew i'd be coming into um into strength and we could go from strength to to better and in fact, that's what's happened. We, after you know, a period of sort of getting to know everybody and, and seeing how it was, we literally sat down together and said, are we reaching the goals that we know we want to reach? Is the way we're doing things the right way? And the wonderful openness and creativity that has led to a lot of change in our organization, all focused toward moving us to doing better what we have done for many years. So I came into a very talented group and I'm honored to be a part of them. You also have some uh, some genetic good fortune, I, I believe. If anyone was listening, your name is Anna Eleanor Roosevelt and I don't think there's a mistake there. There's not, a, it's not a coincidence. Right. You do have this, this family that was very socially aware. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, you know, that is what how I grew up. I mean, I, I grew up with grandparents who were um, 
who everybody knew maybe almost better than I knew them in a way. Uh, my grandfather did die before I was born, uh, but I I knew my grandmother, and I knew that she was a person who was um, active around the world and was um, doing things that helped people. And my my mother, who was a child of the Depression and married my father in the early 40s, um, sort of filled in the backstory to why this woman, Eleanor Roosevelt, was someone to be truly admired and what our our legacy as a family was, which um, even before my grandparents were politically active, they were active in their communities and you know, and how how much that means to um, simply being who we are, um, and I would say you know that those two women are really the the, the influencers in my life. Um, they taught me to think and to understand my responsibility uh, in a way that didn't doesn't feel like a burden but rather like being it's just the way it's just the way it is and and so you 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 step into it and um i guess that prepared me for a diverse career um i was fortunate to have a um a very good education a liberal education um one, I was an art major, which you wouldn't think would necessarily prepare me for what I'm doing now or what I, even much of what I've done throughout my life. But it prepared me to ask questions and to, um, to think about what, what's the goal, what's the final outcome. And, and that's what I learned as I matured was, so what are we trying to get to? And what role can I play? What do I bring to the party here? And don't try to be somebody I'm not, but know what I can bring and then see how that fits. And how can people find out about Goodwill, the programs that you're doing, and how they might actually donate or support your organization? Uh, we have a great website that tells you lots of information at uh, goodwillnne.org, O-R-G. And uh, they can certainly always call us at our number here in Portland, 207-774-6323. And uh, we, would, we appreciate so much every donation. They are our lifeblood. Um, we appreciate all of our shoppers. And we appreciate all of our clients as well. They teach us every day. We've been speaking with Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, known as Anne. She is the president and CEO of Goodwill Industries of Northern New England. Thank you so much for coming in and having this conversation with me today and for the good work that you and the people of Goodwill are doing. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 232, Growing Goodwill. Our guests have included Julia Sleeper and Anna Eleanor Roosevelt. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. 
for a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter, and like our Love Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa, and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our Growing Goodwill show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.